Welcome to Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. I'm your host, Alex Spanko. Before we get the interview started, I'd like to let you know about the 2019 Architecture and Design Awards, put on by our sister publication, Senior Housing News. Enter your newly developed SNF or remodel building in this year's awards under the nursing home category. Over the last seven years, hundreds of entries from across the country have been judged in this program. To find out more information about the competition, visit www.shnawards.com. From updates to the five-star rating system, to a crackdown on state survey agencies, to changes in the requirements of participation, 2019 may well go down as a landmark year for nursing home safety on the federal level, spurred on in part by increased attention from Congress. As Chief Medical Officer for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Dr. Kate Goodrich has played a leading role in the reform efforts handed down this year. I wanted to learn more about what drove this newfound push, as well as what changes might be ahead from Washington and Baltimore. Here's my conversation with Dr. Goodrich, who also serves as the director of CMS's Center for Clinical Standards and Quality. Dr. Goodrich, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk today. Very glad to do so. Thank you, Alex. All right, so let's just get right into this conversation. Obviously, CMS has had a very busy year when it's come to new nursing home regulations, updated enforcement actions, and it's really kind of been a focus of your work so far this year. So I wanted to know a little more about what's behind this recent push. Were there any specific events that prompted it, or has this been something that CMS has had in the works for some time? it's a combination of things. You know, nursing homes are a little bit different from the other facility types that we regulate or oversee in that, you know, a significant number of people who are in nursing homes, that's their home. They're residents. They're not just patients. They actually reside there. Obviously, there's some who are patients who are there for a shorter period of time. But because this is where people live, we believe really strongly that residents deserve to be treated with dignity and to be kept safe uh, from abuse and neglect and to have the highest quality care possible. And so this, you know, over the last several months, we began working on a really comprehensive strategy that pulled together all of the different things that we were either already doing or were considering doing to really strengthen the quality of care for residents and patients within nursing homes or skilled nursing facilities. And so you saw us uh, uh, talk about and publish on our five-part plan, which focuses on strengthening oversight, enhancing and enforcement, increasing transparency, improving quality, and putting patients over paperwork. Now, I would also say, of course, there's been a lot about nursing homes um, out in the public sphere as well for a variety of reasons. And so the timing just sort of uh, coalesced with us already doing a lot of work in this space. And the timing was really good with all of the things you've been hearing in the news, whether it's related to disasters after hurricanes, uh, what unfortunately happened after Hurricane Irma down in Florida, or some of the issues around abuse and neglect. And of course, we're very grateful to Senators Grassley and Wyden for their focus on strengthening the quality and safety of care in nursing homes through their public hearings. So all of this kind of came together at the same time, and we are just super excited to be doing this work. Yeah, it, it has certainly been nonstop. Just for reference, I've been covering the industry since 2017, so I, my stint here kind of coincided with those hurricanes in the in the fall of that year that grabbed headlines. So it's been a huge focus of improvement on safety issues and all that other stuff has been very important during my even relatively brief time covering the industry. But I'm wondering if, aside from the stuff that you already have in the works, the previously announced things, are there any areas that you're looking at for potential areas of future enforcement changes or future oversight changes? Changes. Absolutely. 
So we've been working for a little while on strengthening our oversight of the state survey agencies who are the boots on the ground people who go in and inspect nursing homes at least once a year and when there is a complaint about a nursing home. So, you know, there's 15,000 nursing homes in this country. Every single one of them is surveyed by the state survey agencies every 12 to 15 months. And then, of course, when there's complaints, we do that as well. But we know that there's been some inconsistencies in how certain aspects of that survey process go and how, you know, findings may be cited and so forth. And so we've been really, really focused on trying to improve that consistency and transparency around the process. So we'll be uh, saying, be able to say a little bit more about that, hopefully later this year, about ways in which we are really strengthening our oversight of those of those state agencies. So that's number one. You know, on the enforcement side, you may recall probably about a year before maybe you started uh, covering this industry, we published a uh, really an overhaul of the requirements for participation, so the minimum health and safety standards that nursing homes and skilled nursing facilities or long-term care facilities have to adhere to in order to be part of the Medicare program. Uh, this was published in October of 2016, and we've been implementing, because it is an overhaul, we, we knew that we couldn't just implement it all at once. That would be too much. To, for nursing homes to have to deal with at one time. So we, we implemented it in three phases. We've completed phase one and phase two, and the last phase uh, is phase three, and we're really excited about this one because uh, nursing homes will have to adhere to the phase three requirements as of November of this year. And we're excited about this one because this is really, uh, the, this last phase in particular addresses an issue that is so critical for nursing home residents, and that is infection control. So we have requirements that nursing homes must uh, develop infection control programs. And the reason we're focused on that uh, so much and why we really wanted to you know, work with advocates and with the industry to really try to get these guidances right is because the number one reason that nursing home residents get admitted to the hospital is because of a healthcare-acquired infection. So healthcare, uh, excuse me, infection control is really a very, very critical safety issue within nursing homes. So those requirements will be in place in November of this year, and our state survey agencies will start surveying to them after that. Two more things to mention, actually three more things to mention. One is around uh, increasing transparency. You know, we're continuously looking for ways to improve our Nursing Home Compare website. We know people really like the star ratings. However, we also have heard that there are aspects to the website that are difficult for people to understand. We've also heard that people would like to see certain aspects of care quality more brought up to the forefront and easier to understand right up front. And so we've been doing some work to look at ways to make that site much more user-friendly, and actually that's true of all of our Compare sites, but it certainly is also true for Nursing Home Compare. And so without, you know, I can't really say exactly what we'll be doing later this year and early next, but you will see some changes that are really intended to be directly responsive to the understandability of the information that's on the site. Around improving quality, which is our fourth item of our five-part plan, we have heard from uh, stakeholders that they would really like to see more quality measures around safety within nursing homes. We do have some that are around safety, but 
we, it's, it's probably a portfolio of measures that could be built out in that area a little bit more. So we are working on developing sort of a all-cause harm measure, if you will, of, of safety within uh, skilled nursing facilities. And then finally, for uh, patients over paperwork, of course, we published our long-term care rule, I guess it was in July of this year, which is focused on finding ways to reduce the administrative burdens that nursing homes face that are not really contributing to uh, improving the quality and safety of care. There definitely were some areas where we felt like, you know, we could really eliminate some of the requirements that were duplicative, that would give nursing homes maybe a little bit more flexibility and give them some hours back to in, so that they can spend that time taking care of patients. So really trying to balance the need to really reduce that paperwork burden with ensuring that what we are requiring people to do is really in service of strengthening the quality of care. Got it. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there and I have a couple of follow-up Sorry, questions. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. That's, you know, we want as much information as we can get in our limited time, but I wanted to specifically around nursing home compare. One of the things that a lot of operators tell me when I, when I interview them is that, you know, the nursing home compare is great, but it doesn't really give you the intangibles. It doesn't really give you the way that the place looks or feels on the inside or the interactions that people have with caregivers there. So are, are you looking into adding subjective resident experiences? You know, I, I, there have been instances where people will use you know, I'll talk to companies that where they say people really use Yelp or they'll use, you know, Google reviews when they're looking at these kinds of things. Are those the kinds of things that you're thinking about, including in Nursing Home Compare going forward? Yeah, so I'd say two things here. Uh, well, well, before I do, though, just I think this is important. I think this is exactly what families and caregivers and residents themselves want to see. So totally understand where folks are coming from and agree that that would be really, really useful. I'm glad there is a Yelp. I'm glad that there are other tools out there. But, you know, certainly people have asked us to have that kind of information sort of in the same place that there's the other quality information that they currently receive on Nursing Homes Compare. So we are definitely interested in exploring and in reporting residents' experience or satisfaction and looking at different ways in which we can do this. It is actually a fairly complex process though to undertake because you of course are capturing the resident or the caregiver's voice and we want to be sure that we are doing that in a way that is accurate and fair and yet truthful and gives the information people are looking for. So in order to do this it would require us undertaking a very methodological and deliberate process that frankly would take some time. So there's a couple of ways to do this. You know, in many of our other quality programs, of course, we have patient experience surveys that we administer and, and the responses sort of get translated into quality measures. Think of, you know, HCAPs for hospitals and dialysis facility or incident or hemodialysis caps, that kind of thing. So that, you know, that there's a very rigorous science behind developing that those kinds of surveys and the quality measures that are derived from them. So that is something that we are looking into, but certainly would take some time. Regarding sort of the Yelp idea, this is something we've actually been thinking about for a long time in a variety of settings of care, not just nursing homes. There actually has been some research that's been done looking at this and how you can do this again in a scientifically rigorous way, but that, you know, captures that qualitative, you know, subjective information that people give. So what I would say is we are continuing to act 
actively explore that for, quite frankly, all of our compare sites, not just nursing home compare. And we're really tracking closely the research and literature in this area and happy to say that actually there's a number of providers out there in the world, in the, in the, in the United States, that actually are already doing this just on their own. And so we're trying to learn from their experience as well to see how we could potentially apply that on a, on a national scale. Got it. And then uh, pivoting to another uh, point that came up a little earlier that I wanted to circle back on, the requirements of participation. I know the third round is coming in, but you guys uh, at CMS delayed uh, the the enforcement on, on certain aspects of it. Just are those, are, will CMS auditors and surveyors and all the people who inspect, will they still be looking out for those kinds of things that mm-hmm. have been delayed? Is this something that you know operators should still prepare for? So that we actually delayed not so much the enforcement of it. We uh, this is the phase two requirements, and they were due to be in place in November of 2017. We actually did not delay the requirement that nursing homes be um, implement those requirements in, in November of 2017. And in mm-hmm. fact, our surveyors began surveying for them in November of 2017. But the difference was what was delayed was that when this was for about six of the what we call our tags, which are essentially the potential citations. Mm-hmm. Basically what we said was, look, for 18 months after November of 2017, if you're, you as a nursing home are found to be deficient in any of these six areas, it was either six or eight, sorry, I can't remember which, <laughs> in any of these areas, we will still cite you. But the enforcement tool that we will use will be educational in nature. It would not be, for example, a civil monetary penalty or something that's, you know, perceived to be more punitive in nature. So we were still holding people accountable during that 18-month moratorium, but we were taking a more educational approach to help them get up to speed. Now, that moratorium has been lifted already. That was lifted in May of this year. So nursing homes are still being surveyed for those same things. Things. But uh, depending upon the severity of the citation, if there is a citation, then all of the uh, enforcement tools would be available to CMS to use uh, at this point. Got it. And would, would that same kind of strategy apply? I know there was the proposal for the the proposed rule, rather, for the phase three, the certain kind of changes to that. Would the protocol look the same for that or is it different or is it still up in the air? So uh, we aren't anticipating making any changes to our enforcement remedies for Phase 3, so we will not be implementing, at this time, we do not have have any plans to implement a moratorium on the enforcement tools for Phase 3. Got it. Okay. And then going on to state-level areas of oversight, one thing that certain, certain states have already started to take steps to accomplish is this issue of ownership and more transparency around ownership of Mm -hmm. facilities. We saw it in Kansas with uh, the whole skyline issue. So lawmakers, stakeholders in regional areas are really standing up and saying, we want more information about who's owning these facilities Mm -hmm. so that, you know, we can track patterns and maybe prevent some of the problems that have happened with some of these big collapses that we've seen over the last year or so. Is that an area where CMS can step in or is that something that really is going to have to come from the state level? So, 
we do certainly think that, and we've certainly seen evidence, that ownership plays into ensuring that nursing homes keep their residents safe. I would certainly agree with you on that. We are looking for ways to make sure that there is consistent and continued quality and safety in these facilities by improving our oversight and transparency. To that end, we propose new regulations that implement additional provider enrollment provisions that are related to our requirements under the Affordable Care Act that help to make certain that entities and individuals who pose risks to the Medicare program and our beneficiaries are kept out of or are removed, in fact, from the Medicare program. So the program integrity enhancements to the provider enrollment process proposed rule, uh, this would require that healthcare providers and suppliers, to, uh, they must report affiliations with entities and individuals that either have uncollected debt to Medicare, Medicaid, or CHIP, they have been or are subject to a payment suspension under a federal health care program or they're subject to an OIG exclusion or they've had their Medicare, Medicaid, or CHIP enrollment, enrollment denied or revoked. CMS can deny or revoke the providers or suppliers Medicare, Medicaid, or CHIP enrollment if we determine that the affiliation poses an undue risk of fraud, waste, or abuse under this proposed rule. Now, I will say this is a, a rule that uh, is in, a, in the Center for Program Integrity. It's not directly in my shop. If there's more information that you would like about that proposed rule as it relates to provider enrollment, we'd be very happy to give you that. Got it. Yeah, I, I just one of the things that I struggle with, even as a journalist covering the industry, is that, you know, you go on CMS, you go on Nursing Home Compare, and there's just usually an LLC that mm -hmm. is listed as the owner. And I know that that's a function of it's a legal protection for a lot of owners, but I, I think it does cause some frustration among people where they can't really see, OK, what is this company? You know, there's only a, an address for it. There's no information about it. But obviously, it's it's difficult. I was speaking with Mark Parkinson, who's the American Healthcare Association chief, and he was saying that they would welcome more transparency, but they don't know how to kind of walk that tightrope between, you know, allowing providers to have legal protections and then allowing consumers and their families to figure out who actually owns these facilities. Yeah, I, I understand. And, and this is something that we've certainly heard concerns about as well. And, you know, I think, you know, the other thing is we always have to look at what sort of our statutory authority is for what we actually can make public. But, you know, we understand this is definitely an issue that people are concerned about and trying to address it in, at least for now, in the way that I described through this proposed rule. Got it. Bumping up against the end of our time here. So I want to ask just two more questions. And these are kind of bigger picture ones. I know. I just actually, uh, I was just in Atlantic City, New Jersey at a major conference uh, for reimbursement strategies up uh, for a lot of the Northeast operators. And one of the big things that came up was this idea that uh, PDPM and its implementation, it's kind of this one step toward a, a, a new, you know, the next payment model, toward a more mm -hmm. site neutral payment mm -hmm. system. And I know that it's something that CMS has discussed and MedPAC has discussed for many years. What's your take on sort of the timeline for that? You know, when are we really going to see a truly site neutral payment system? And is that, you know, likely within the next five years, 10 years, 20? Yeah. So I think you're undoubtedly familiar with the Impact Act. Really, I think, tried to lay the foundation for potentially ultimately going to sort of a unified post-acute care PPS system, which you could think of as a site-neutral uh, type system. And that's really, I think, what the Impact Act was trying to do was to sort of lay that foundation to be able to do that. So in order to fully go into a site-neutral system for post-acute care, we would require uh, congressional action for that to happen. 
But obviously, it's something that this administration is very interested in. We've taken a number of steps to move towards site neutrality in a number of other ways. I think we have a lot of information in our outpatient prospective payment system rule this year around that, which we're happy to send to you. But it's not focused on post-acute care. It's really on, on other settings of care. So, you know, this is definitely a topic of great interest for uh, this administration with the Impact Act and now the, uh, which we've really almost fully implemented at this point. We made sort of our final proposals for implementation in our uh, payment rules this year for the final data elements and uh, quality measures that really are now standardized across all those settings of care so that you really can feel confident that, you know, we're able to assess, let's say, functional status the same across home health agencies, skilled nursing facilities, inpatient rehab facilities, and long-term care, long-term acute care hospitals, right, which we were doing in wildly different ways previously. But now we actually can assess all of these things and collect data the same way across all of these facilities, data that would be important to make payment determinations and for measuring quality and for survey and certification. So we think that the foundation is there because of uh, Congress's action on the impact but to fully move into a unified post-acute care payment system uh, certainly would require congressional action. Got it. And that's a good segue into my last question, which is just kind of about what you see as the future of the skilled nursing space going forward. Uh, you kind of touched on it with the you know communication between different sites of care and trying to come up with a common language for caring for our older adults because it's, you know, the population is just going to increase over time. So where do you see skilled nursing facilities fitting into that overall continuum going forward? And, you know, what's kind of your what's your vision and CMS's vision for it? Is it going to be more like a little mini hospital where people do rehab? Is it going to be sort of the current incarnation where it's a mixture of rehab and long-term care, sort of two different businesses under one roof? Or is it going to be something different that we don't even know yet? What's your take on that? Yeah, that's. I have to say, it's pretty hard to predict what the nursing home industry is going to look like in 10 years. <laughs> you know, I think we're taking a number of steps now through some pretty significant policy and program changes that we think will have both an immediate but also long-lasting impact on the care of nursing home residents and patients who are in, in skilled nursing. You know, I also think as the payment system across the board, right, the whole healthcare payment system is changing to pay for value. Mm-hmm. That has, you know, caught up as much yet in the uh, post-acute care space. Again, that's where I think we would need some help from Congress to be able to to do that. Uh, We don't have, um, you know, value-based care arrangements except for the SNF value-based purchasing program, you know, in the post-acute care space. But I do think that, you know, we're on – the train is out of the station on value-based care for sure. But this is like, you know, a 30- to 40-year trajectory that began, you know, I don't know, five to ten years ago. So to pay for value. And so I think as as the payment system changes over time where you're really focused on total cost of care and better outcomes for patients, that naturally the industry is going to evolve with that. So my hope – for the next 10 years uh, for the nursing home industry is what it would be for, you know, your relative who may reside in one of these facilities, you know, free from harm, free from abuse, being treated with dignity and respect, and that, you know, the quality of care that's delivered is as good as it can be in as many nursing facilities as possible. That's a little pie in the sky, but, you know, if you've ever had a loved one in a nursing home or in a skilled nursing facility, and I've had both, I've had family members who have uh, both been there as residents and as, uh, 
you know, being there for 30 days or so after a hospitalization, you know that there's still a need for care to be improved. There are some very, very good facilities, but there are ones that still struggle. And so we're really trying to lift all boats. And through our current policy changes um, and program changes, because we really think that everybody deserves the highest quality care possible. Got it. Well, be sure to keep us posted on uh, all the stuff that you've got going on, and I'm sure we'll be in touch and hearing from you soon about all the new things uh, that you have going on. So again, thank you so much, Dr. Goodrich, for taking the time today. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Thank you. All right. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Rethink, the future of skilled nursing. For more news and insights on the skilled nursing industry, subscribe to our daily or weekly newsletters at skillednursingnews.com. I'm Alex Panko, and this has been a production of Aging Media Network, Chicago, Illinois.